Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sins are reproach to any people. Hello and welcome to of God and men, the show you don't dare play in your barn unless you want mad cow. <laughs> this is your host, Brom French. It is great, terrific, fantastic, wondrous to get to be back with you. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at 210-854-8029. Or you can reach me by email. That's probably the best way for you to get a hold of me at the moment. That is at the letter B, the letter F, the at sign, B-R-A-H-M-F-R-E-N-C-H dot com. That's B-F at Bromfrench dot com. So here I am in upstate New York and spending some time with my family. And I'm driving around or riding around with my aunt and uncle. And they point out a church building that is vacant and begin to tell me how it was a United Methodist Church that has closed. And so I asked a couple questions and I, now they've got me pondering and wondering why did the Methodist Church close. And So my uncle tells me, he says, well, it probably, uh, well, what we're hearing is it was the organization. It's not actually owned by the locals. It's owned by the organization, and the United Methodist Church owns all the property in America, and there's just not enough baptisms, maybe, maybe not enough visitors, um, so they've decided to close the doors. And then we drove a little further down, and we go past another United Methodist Church, and they pipe up again and said, well, that one there, too, is closed, the United Methodist Church International or National or whatever, has decided to close this one as well. And the community, both communities are in an uproar and the people don't know where to go. They don't want to go to this other Methodist church. It's just a little further down the road because a lot of people don't like the minister there. And it's just uh, a mess and a shame. And while they're going through it, something, something begins to bother me. And no, I'm not Methodist. I've never actually been Methodist. I have preached in a Methodist church, but they're no longer even Methodist now. So, so why am I concerned about a Methodist church closing down? What difference does it make to me? It's, I probably would not have preached there. I'd probably never preach a message there. I most likely wouldn't even go to visit. Now, that's not totally true. I, I'm not against going to other churches, but why would it bother me? I'll tell you why it bothers me. Because I see the direction that our nation is going. And here's just an antidotal story. Here's just anecdotal evidence of a much bigger picture that we see transpiring across the nation as we are moving further and further away from Christianity, further and further away from our roots, and I understand in this area, maybe some people have moved out and they have gone to bigger towns. And so they're going to, maybe the United Methodist Church thinks that they are going to make a bigger difference in the big city and kind of forget about 
the backwoods hillbilly folk in the upstate. <laughs> I don't know what exactly was going on in the organization's mind, but it did cause me to pause and thank God for the ministry and the pastors, the lay people that stick it out even when it seems like they're not making a difference. Let me make this clear. You are making a difference in your community, even if you're the only ones going. As a matter of fact, you go back and look at crime, and whether it goes up or goes down, a church has an effect on the society and on the area around. When a church comes into the area, the area improves, and when a church leaves, the area begins to decline. As a matter of fact, that was some of the commentary we had as we were driving around how the decline of the area has come about. Thank God for little churches. Oh, I'm not against big churches. But thank God for little communities and little churches that are willing to stick it out. They may not believe exactly like me, and they may not have the same theology that I have. Thank God for little churches. Because it was the little churches and the little communities that very few people seem to have wanted to go to that have made a lasting impression on our culture and has lasted 239 years. Thank God for little churches. Thank God for pastors that are willing to preach at little churches that are willing to stand up and make a difference and offer their voice, even if it's not in front of the cameras even if they don't shake Donald Trump's hand. <laughs> Yet they'll still go to that small community of only maybe a couple thousand. Some around here only have a few hundred. But they'll go and they'll preach the word. and They'll tell people the need to have Jesus in their lives and Jesus in the nation. Thank God for those. And if you're one, maybe the Lord is impressed on your heart to make a difference somehow, maybe helping a small church. I encourage you. Why don't you do it? Why don't we be the people God called us to be? Thank God for those that are our predecessors that were what God called them to be. That's why we have been so blessed the way we have. Let me take a break and uh, when I come back we'll uh, cover a couple other subjects. Hold on just a second. Do you have a podcast, a radio show, do you need help in marketing? Oh, God and Men is proud to have a new sponsor, the Acme Company. That stands for the American Commercial Media Entertainment Company. I can personally tell you I have had a request for the round bathtub that they pitched right here on this radio show. Now, Acme Company has had a bad reputation in the past because of Wiley E. the Coyote, who could never follow the instructions. But if you would have noticed, Acme was the only product that he would use. That is a testimony of their selling ability. Forget about eBay and Craigslist. Call Acme. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
and we are back. And uh, let's get into some news that I had received the other day from a shall remain nameless listener. And uh, why, Brom, somebody might be asking, why do you have listeners that will remain nameless? Well, let's be honest. If you listen to this podcast, do you really want people knowing that you're listening? <laughs> uh, you know, it, you don't play the podcast in a barn because you don't want to have mad cow. So uh, you don't want to get out that you listen to this podcast. So <laughs> I happen to be on evangelist. means I'm on the road all the time. And so it's not easy to hunt me down and find me because I'm constantly moving. And uh, and I'm the host. So <laughs> what's that say about the listeners? So uh, our shall remain nameless anonymous listener sent me an email that had a link for a website that says Germany is opening up their borders. And uh, we already knew some of this and has accepted refugees from the Middle East. And they are anticipating 20 million refugees from the Middle East by the year 2020. This may not be a big deal, you might think. On the outset, oh, what a great thing, what a big heart. But remember, we've looked at previously who these refugees are. They are not women, they're not children, but they are military-age men, and they are opening up their borders to 20 million of these so-called refugees. I believe I can firmly say that by the year 2020, we will not recognize Germany as the same Germany they have today. By the year 2020 and there just after that, it will not be the same Germany. It does put a little trepidation in my spirit, a little um, cause to ponder, if you will. Because not so long ago, Germany had an authoritarian power that looked at the world differently. They hated Jews. They disliked Christians. They disliked anybody who disagreed with them and their philosophy or theology. And so today, Germany is opening up their doors and their borders to those who believe very strongly in authoritarian power, who don't like Jews, and who disagree and want to kill anybody who might disagree with them. We are seeing history repeat itself. Shame on America, first of all, if we won't speak up, and second of all, if we go down the same road. Unfortunately, it looks like this administration wants to go down that road. And again, that's one of the reasons that we need an armed populace. An armed populace is a polite populace. An armed populace is a safe and secure populace. You don't have to worry about your head being cut off if you've got a bullet that can get to them before the axe can get to your head. <laughs> that's just the day that we live in. Speaking about that, oh, here we go. There it is, the sound. Oh, the sound that we are learning to hate. We are about to go through the Quran and uh, look at the doctrine of devils and the combination of uh, Islam and Christianity or Chrislam or Islam and any other religion and why Islam is not satisfied with anybody believing anything but their own personal doctrine of devils. I'm a Christian. 
But if you don't want to be a Christian, that's your choice. I will not force it on you. I will not cut your head off if you do not agree. I will pray for you, and I will do it spitefully just to get you, just to get you mad. <laughs> but I will not cut your head off. And Islam is not the same. Islam does not agree with that. And we are going through the Quran. We are in the second chapter. It's called the cow. I'm going to pick up where we left off uh, the other day. Chapter 2, the cow, verse number 71. We're going to read it again, and we're going to look at it a little, care- little more carefully. He, Moses, said, he says, It is a cow neither trained to till the soil nor water the fields, sound having no other color except bright yellow. They said, Now you have brought the truth. So they slaughtered it, though they were near to not doing it. All right. Now, I had told you the last podcast that it is not in the Old Testament anywhere where there is yellow yellow cattle of any kind. Well, we are going to go back and we're going to look at it closely. There, The word yellow is mentioned four times in the Old Testament. In the Torah, in any of the Old Testament, it's mentioned four times, three times in Leviticus, one time in the book of Psalm. And so when we go through Leviticus chapter 13, verse number 30, and it's talking about a plague. Then the priest shall see the plague, and behold, it is in sight deeper than the skin, and there be in it a yellow thin hair. Chapter 13, verse number 32, says again, it's speaking about the same plague. Chapter 13, verse 36, it's speaking about, you guessed it, the same plague. In Psalms chapter 68, verse 30, it says, Though ye have lean among the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. So nowhere, nowhere is there a yellow calf, a yellow bull, a yellow ox, yellow animal of any kind whatsoever. And we're speaking anywhere in Scripture. And so now the Quran is placing things that are saying the Jews' God said this when the Jews' God did not say that. And the Jews' God and the Christians' God is the same, and Allah is not his name. Jehovah, if you're Jewish, the Old Testament, although they uh, will not pronounce the name of God, Jesus, in the New Testament. But Allah is not he. And his, the things he says is contrary and found nowhere in Scripture. And so let's look at this even a little closer. He says it's a cow neither trained to till the soil nor water the fields, sound, having no other color except bright yellow. They said, now you have brought the truth. So now uh, the Quran is saying that the Jews are saying to Moses, now finally you're telling us the truth. This is what we've been looking for. This is what we wanted to know. Now you've brought us the truth. So they slaughtered it, though they were near to not doing it. Again, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Where does it say where they almost didn't do it? That's nowhere in there. As a matter of fact, you see where there are moments where they, it was a feast, it was a festival, it was a part of their culture. And so, well, you almost didn't do it. That's like saying that my family almost didn't celebrate Christmas. Come on! Just ridiculous and truly still, no matter how much we look into it, a doctrine of 
devils. And I've gone on enough about it. I'll tell you what, let's uh, take a break. And when we come back, we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin to reproach to any people. And we are back. And we're about to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. We are in Genesis chapter 39. Listen carefully. I believe, don't quote me on it, but I believe we will be able to finish chapter 39 today, which is crazy amazing. Uh, means we've got to cover a lot of verses, but uh, it's all part of the same story. And I think we've got enough time to do it. Genesis chapter 39, verse number 11. The Bible says this, And it came to pass about that time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice, and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. All right, so let's back up. We're going to go back to verse number 11, and we're going to look at this a little closer, and uh, we're going to see if this story will not come to life to us. Now, remember Joseph's story. We've started way back when uh, he was just a lad, and he's sold into slavery. Now, he's sold into slavery because he's got a dream, and his brothers don't like it. His dad's given him a coat of many colors, and they were going to kill him, but Reuben steps up and says, no, let's not kill him. And uh, then he is now sold in uh, to slavery. He's made his way to Egypt. Now he's in Egypt, and we're picking up the story. He's the servant or the slave of Potiphar, who is uh, very high up in the Egyptian uh, life. And it comes to pass at this time that Joseph's went into the house to do his business. So you re re remember that Joseph is... Uh, he is not just a servant or a slave, but he is over everything in Potiphar's house. He's got full reign, full control. Everything that is Potiphar's is his except for Potiphar's wife. But Potiphar's wife has her eyes on Joseph. 
and now he goes into the house to do his business. And that's not like when you and I say, I got to go do my business. (laughs) He's going in to actually do business. And there's none of the men in the house therein. So nobody else is there except for Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And so he has put himself unknowingly, unwittingly in danger. And that's one of the reasons, you know, when a pastor counsels, it's never smart to counsel uh, a female or somebody of the opposite sex when it's just the two of you and it's not your spouse. Uh, That's just uh, not proper protocol. It's not safe to do. You might be uh, a Joseph or, you know, you you may think you're a stud and have the fine opportunity to show your loose morals. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, let's pick up. So nobody else is in the house, and except for her and Joseph. And she called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. So now she's called him, and she's seducing him. She's been after him day by day by day. She's trying to wear him down. She has not been able to wear him out. But she has not given up. She has not quit. Now she's got him, and it's just the two of them. They are alone. She's called him by his garment. She's asking him, sleep with me, and he left his garment in her hand. He's going to get out with his innocence and with his purity, even if it means evidence is with the transgressor. Evidence is with the one that now can do me harm. I'm getting out even if they hold the evidence. You see, sometimes doing right, you know, Joseph would not have been in this situation if he would have just slept with her. If he would have slept with her, she probably would not have said a word. She most likely would have just enjoyed the relationship. But sometimes being a man of integrity means that you got to leave the evidence and get out of the place while you're still a man of integrity. <laughs> he could have stayed and enjoyed the uh, relationship, the uh, fellowship, if you will, the the actions of the fornication and the adultery. He could have stayed and enjoyed it and not been in trouble. But sometimes being a man of integrity means you will find yourself in trouble. And there will be some that will try to destroy you. And so he's escaped, he's gotten out, he has fled out, but his garment is still in her hand. And it comes to pass when she saw that she had left, that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled, and so he ran, that she called the men of the house. So now she's getting the word out. She's she's going outside to the door. Yoo-hoo! Hello! And she's calling everybody around, all the servants, all the slaves, come, listen to me, saying, see, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. And so now she's pointing the finger at him because he did not give in to her. This is something very valuable to remember. First of all, be a man of integrity. But second of all, don't give in to the desires of those who don't desire your good. She obviously didn't really desire the good of this Hebrew boy. And it's another great thing to to recognize not everybody's after your best interest. And so she slanders him. She says he's come around us to mock us. How dare him not recognizing, or uh, the rest of them not recognizing that she was the one that was mocking him. And I cried with a loud voice and came to pass when he heard that. I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And so 
He was here. He was after me. He was trying to rape me. But when I cried and you heard me, and when he heard me scream, he ran to get away. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. So now she's after his job. She's after his life. It's one thing if it's just uh, an employee you can fire and maybe file sexual harassment charges, but this is a slave. This is a man that just firing isn't going to be enough. And so look at what your Hebrew servant has done, she says to him. Look at what he's done. He's come into me. He's mocked me. He's tried to rape me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and I cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. Again, I'm going to spend just a little more time here because you're going to find in your relationship with God that if you are a man or a woman of integrity, not everybody else is a man or a woman of integrity. And they're going to say things about you. They're going to come against you. They're going to rile you. They're going to vile you. They're going to attack you with their lips. And sometimes, in order to get away, means you leave evidence in their hand. But if you really are a man or a woman of integrity, you will smell like roses by the end. You may, might mean you've got to spend time in prison. We're going to see that in just a moment. But you get out, even if it means you leave evidence in their hand that makes you, incriminating evidence that makes you look guilty, you still get out and be what God called you to be and allow some relationships to die with your escape. And so the Bible says, His master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Well, duh, I think any man's wrath would be kindled. And so he's upset and he's angry. But the Lord was with Joseph. Let me back up. It says, Joseph's master took him. So his wrath is kindled, his master takes him, and he puts him in prison, place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. <laughs> Can I tell you what that means? Oh, this is beautiful. You can't keep a good man down. That's exactly what this is telling us. Joseph had a dream and he had a vision and he's been hated for it for years. And everywhere he's turned, he's been betrayed, he's been lied on, he's been deceived. He's been cast into a, a pit, now he's cast into prison. But God continues to give him favor. God continues to have or to show mercy to him. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand into Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And so now he is the trustee of the prison, if you will. He's the trustee. But then it gets even more complicated than that. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. Boy, does that sound familiar. Anybody remember Potiphar? <laughs> Potiphar didn't know what was his and what wasn't his. Only thing Potiphar knew was that the bread's on the table because Joseph has taken care of my business. And so the keeper of the prison doesn't know what he has, what he doesn't have. He just knows Joseph is going to take care of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. If you walk with the Lord, he will bring you out and whatever you touch, it will prosper. 
Oh, they're going to be dark moments. They're going to be very sad moments. No doubt, Joseph was not thinking while he's in prison, boy, everything I'm touching is turning to roses. <laughs> he was not thinking to himself, I must have the Midas touch because everything I touch turns to gold. <laughs> and no, no doubt he does not think this because everything he's touched is, well, put him in a pit. It's put him in slavery. It's uh, put him now in prison. Everything he's touched is turning his life upside down while the Lord is positioning him for the greatness that God has in store. So you and I, things we touch may not turn out so well for us. But the question isn't whether or not it's turning out for us and what we see right now. But will God be able to use it for his glory later on? Is it blessing where we are? Are we blessing Potiphar? Oh, isn't that crazy? Potiphar is the same one that's going to throw you in jail. But are you blessing Potiphar? Because if you're blessing Potiphar, <laughs> this is nuts. Now he's in prison. And what's he do in prison? He blesses the keeper of the prison. I wish we could get this understanding. I think Jesus had the understanding. That's why he would say things like, bless those that curse you. Bless those that despitefully use you. You know, those, those kind of statements are from a Joseph mentality that says, I might not belong here. I might not have everything perfect. This may be the worst place I've ever been in my life. This may not be what I anticipated, but I'm going to bless you while I'm here. And now he's in prison, but it's only going to be a matter of time. And it will be a matter of time, but the Lord's going to bring him out and put him to the place that's been waiting for him all this time. And so for you and I, we may be in our own prison. We may be in the pit. We may be in Potiphar's home. We may be in trouble, but you keep holding on to the faith, to the promises that God has, and your dream and your vision will happen. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you later.